Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from John chapter 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and and had been done to him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. We have a cherished member of our first family of faith whose name is Faith. And she uh, has said to us on more than one occasion, man, I live to hear you say, or someone say up front, God's mind about you is made up, and the news is, and I didn't say it this morning. It was because I was going to say it here, though. But I want to say to Faith, and to everyone else who needs to hear it, God's mind is indeed made up about you, and the news is good. And I wanted to say it here because the rest of the sermon is going to be probably, for some of us at least, uh, tough, tough to take in, tough to receive, because what I'm going to try to ask you to do over the course of the next several minutes is to fully explore your culpability, my culpability. I'm going to ask myself these same things. I I want us to, and, and this is contrary to what it seems to me, it's contrary to what human nature is or how we're trending these days, but I want us to explore our blameworthiness. I want us to explore the extent to which we should and perhaps even must understand ourselves as guilty. Let me tell you who has a problem with that. Christians struggle with that part. Christians struggle with the I am perhaps guilty part. And that's part of the reason you'll see a lot of folks who are ready to get to Easter Sunday right away. Holy week, it's great and all, but if we could start celebrating Easter on Friday, that'd be great. You know, the moment when we're not guilty anymore. But, but I would say this to you, friends. The brightness, the light of Easter is only brighter when we explore the depth and the darkness of Good Friday and our participation in it. I don't know if you can fully appreciate the freedom that is available to you, to me, to us on Easter Sunday morning. I don't know that you can fully appreciate the victory won on Easter Sunday morning if you can't also look at the darkness and our culpability on Friday. Friends, we will not celebrate Easter on Friday. But, I mean, if you had siblings growing up, you understand that there is something to this human nature bent, this habit we have to shift blame. Like, how many of you have ever pointed at a brother or sister and said, oh, no, he did it, she did it. I did it, and it was the truth most of the time. My brother and sister did all the bad things growing up for some reason. 
If you have children, you perhaps have seen, especially if you have kids that are in roughly the same age range, you have seen it when they have pointed at one another and said, no, not me, not me, because we, it's like guilt and culpability, we're allergic to it. We're allergic to it. And really, who wants to come to church to be judged? In fact, I would submit to you that this, (laughs) this allergy to being the one in trouble, this allergy to blame extends all the way into the animal kingdom. Some of you have seen this. I've played this before. Okay, which one of you made the mess with this paper? Who did this? Who, who tore up the Kleenex? Gnarly? 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 Did you do that? Did you do this right here? Who tore that Kleenex up? Casey? Casey, did you tear the Kleenex up? Hey, Casey. Casey, did you do that? I think you did. Even the animals don't want to be blamed. Even when caught red-handed, white-handed, I don't know, white-nosed, whatever, they just don't want to be blamed. And honestly, who, who wants to come to church and then be judged? I mean, isn't that what people are saying out there? I don't want to go to church. Those people are too judgy. Those people, in fact, here, here's a term that you'll hear. They're hypocrites, by the way. Of course. It's a hospital. <laughs> of course. Christians are hypocrites, yeah. Oh, very dramatic all of a sudden. And who wants to come to church and be found wanting all the time? Who, who wants to come to church and be found guilty all the time? But, but I have some, I guess it's bad news, but it, I want you to receive it, especially at the end, is good news. Friends, we are, <laughs> it's like a paparazzi sort of thing, it's like... Very heady. <laughs> but we are judged on a regular basis when we come into this room. <laughs> I'm just going to hang on here for a second. You're not with me until we get to the. Uh... We good? Okay, we're good. I mean, honestly, think about this. Several times during a regular liturgy, Someone, most of the time God, is holding up a mirror to each of us. Sometimes you can hear it in the lyrics of a song. You should hear it, I should hear it, we should hear it. Many times when scripture is held up like a mirror in front of us. Here's who God is, here's who you're not. And we say this around here a lot, right? You look at this Jesus, you look at yourself and you confess the difference in the hopes of narrowing someday in hopes of narrowing the gap. Friends, we pray a confessional prayer every week. I even get out of the way so that that uh, confessional prayer can be prayed individually because my assumption is we all have something to confess. When we gather around the table, hear this. You are participating in the acknowledgement 
of your own culpability, somehow, somehow, I am, you are, implicated in the breaking of Christ's body, in the shedding of Christ's blood. Some of you know this. On Palm Sunday, which I, I think is the most ironic of all the Sundays in the Christian calendar, we will take those palm branches that we were just waving. We will store them somewhere, and I, by we, I mean Jason. We'll take those palm branches and store them probably behind the door in his office as often as the case, and we will let those things completely dry out. And here's why we'll let them all dry out, so that it's easier to crush them up and then burn them and create the ash that we'll use for Ash Wednesday when all over again we will explore our culpability, our sinfulness, our sinfulness. I'm not convinced that we can fully appreciate the forgiveness, this incredible infinite resource that's available to us, this forgiveness, until or unless we're fully able to look into the mirror and see and sense our own sinfulness. It's, it's not cheap grace. It's not a get out of hell free card. Forgiveness is better than that. The forgiveness of God knows who you are, knows where you're broken, chooses you still, meets you in the point of your sinfulness, and offers you a way out. But meets you in your sinfulness. Have you met God there in your sinfulness? Well, no time like the present. No time like the present because here we are on Palm Sunday, waving the palm branches, just like the people who expected for Jesus to be like the next coming of, this is Judas Maccabeus. This is literally an action figure of Judas Maccabeus. I found one, actually. <laughs> and let me tell you a little bit about Judas Maccabeus. There is in Scripture, and, and some of you might find this a little bit troubling, but you're going to have to just trust me here. There is in Scripture an argument. In fact, in Scripture, there are all kinds of arguments. And sometimes the, the truth in Scripture is to be found in the tension between these two who are having the argument. There is a very significant argument as to how God will go about being king. Significant argument as to how God will go about saving. There are people who would say in Scripture, no, 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 we will win essentially fighting with the weapons of the enemy. We'll just be better at it than they are. We will win with swords and spears and all kinds of weaponry. We will win with all that stuff because our God is bigger and stronger than the rest of you. And so we will win in the games of violence and power. You can find those voices. There is a story in the intertestamental period, in the Apocrypha. Now, we don't have that in our Bibles typically, but there are lots of traditions that do appreciate apocryphal writings as Scripture. And there is a story in the Apocrypha of Judas Maccabeus who, with the weapons also used by the enemy, was able to beat back the Seleucid Empire, push them out of Jerusalem, push them out of the temple, and he is hailed as a conquering hero. And there is one side of the argument that would say, see, this is how we win, by being better with swords than they are. And that side of the argument will say, and if you think Judas was something, where do you see Jesus? Where do you see the Messiah that's coming? If you think Judas Maccabeus was something, and he must be something because he has his own action figure. 
Wait till you see how God goes about being the Messiah. Now, the other side of that argument goes something like this. No, no, no. We're we're not going to fight like that. There may be victories along the way, won like that, but that is not how our God understands winning. That is not how our God understands power. It's unnerving to me. It's unnerving to me to see how often Christians are portrayed as people who want to fight and claim Judas Maccabeus as their savior. Check your heart. Remember, this is a day to lean into your culpability. So let me ask you a question. (laughs) How do you want to be saved? How do you desire for your Messiah, your savior, to conduct himself? Do you like for your saviors to have action figures? Do you like for your saviors to have bigger muscles, more weaponry, to be better with the weaponry than your enemies? Do you want to win the power games on the terms of the world's use of the term power? Because the other side of the argument says, no, in in fact, here's how God will go about saving. God will go about saving by rescuing us from that definition of power. God will go about saving not by fighting, but by not fighting. I'm trying to set up the triumphal entry for us today, the Palm Sunday March, and how it is and why it is that we might have been identified with the people who are at least the kind people waving the palm branches saying, yeah, this our guy. This our guy. Using Psalm 118. What is that plugged up to right there, this white cord right here? Okay. Because that's going to be a YouTube sensation here after two. After. <laughs> They'll even quote this verse to people who are insisting that our Messiah look more like Judas Maccabeus. They will say, man, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And by the way, the palm branch itself was symbolic of military conquest and victory. The palm branch itself, what you waved today, you waved in association with the people who said, we want Judas Maccabeus. Are you starting to get to the sense, are you starting to get this understanding as to why it is that Jesus was so offensive? Are you starting to get the sense as to why Judas may be, my, why Jesus may today be offensive? Why you may be offended? So Jesus here in John chapter 12 is already drawing a, a crowd, and why not? Because in chapter 11, Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead. That's pretty cool. And so many people are coming to this Jesus character that the Pharisees, all of this, this ruling elite within the, the Jewish context here, all these people are saying, man, we're going to have to do something or else Rome is going to get upset with us for causing a stir. We better kill Jesus. And you know what? We probably got to kill Lazarus too because that's evidence that this Jesus is something else. So there is a big crowd along with Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem. And here's what Jesus knows about the crowd. 
They don't really want him. They want Judas Maccabeus. And I want to ask us again, who do you want? I get a note every once in a while. People wish I would just sort of stick to spiritual things and stay out of the, the, what they're considering the political stuff. I can't. I can't. Monitor, if you would, how Christians honor and respect power in all its forms. Ask yourself if Christians are still aching for the next Judas Maccabeus or the next Jesus. John 12, 12, the next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches and they went out to meet him saying, Judas Maccabeus. We, we know the stories. We know the songs. We can't wait to wear the t-shirts. We're going to be on the one side. We're going to wipe these folks out. Blessed is he the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they add this, the king of Israel. Jesus hears all of this and says, oh, no, oh, no, no. They're going to get the wrong impression if we go down this road any farther. And so in John, it's very interesting. It's after they start saying this that Jesus goes and finds a young donkey and sits on it saying, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. This is straight up Zechariah 9.9. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's foal. Judas did not ride donkey's foals. Judas Maccabeus would not be caught dead on anything other than, can you guess? A big, giant, white war horse. What is Jesus doing here? They're, they're trying to give him, they're trying to gift him, gift him this status as conquering hero. Come on, Jesus, go find something other than a borrowed donkey, please. I told you about this argument. It happens in scripture. Zechariah takes one side of this argument and says this, no, 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 your savior, your savior is not gonna save you in that way. It's not gonna be on a war horse, not gonna be dangling swords at the side. This savior is gonna save you by relieving you of that weaponry. This savior will fight and win by not fighting at all and by sitting on a young donkey a servant's animal. Can you see the clash now? Can you see the clash between what they wanted from Jesus and what they were getting in Jesus? Can you sense the clash in what you want from a savior given Listen, given how fractured and polarized our society is, all of us, me included, want to win. And by win, I mean the other side lose. But how do we get there from here? The disciples didn't know either. In the moment, Scripture says, the disciples didn't understand it either. In the moment, there's great evidence to suggest that the disciples also wanted Judas Maccabeus. They also had room on the shelf for an action figure. They also had big dreams and plans for Jesus. I mean, you know these stories, right? 
there was the moment when Jesus asked the disciples, who do the people out there say that I am? Finally, Jesus tells them who he is. And remember, Simon Peter says, hang on a second, hang on a second. What you said about yourself there, Jesus, does not sound enough like Judas Maccabeus. Because, says Peter in this moment, everybody knows how things get done in this world. You gotta be stronger than the next guy. You have to defeat the next guy. Everybody knows that Judas Maccabeus is the pattern, the stereotype, the archetype. This is how we win. You gotta be Judas Maccabeus, to which Jesus responds, if you'll remember, get in line, Peter, tempter. That was the Middendorf Revised Standard Version. What it might say in your Bible is, get behind me, Satan. The disciples did not understand. But when Jesus was glorified, and this is a hugely packed word, because what this word means, glorified, in the mouth of John is, when Jesus was killed, raised to life, when Jesus ascended, then the disciples meant, we've been on the wrong side of this argument. We should have been listening to Zechariah, Daniel, third Isaiah. But we so wanted to win with weapons. We so wanted to see the other bleed and be defeated, to, to be dragged away in defeat. We so wanted that, that we sort of turned a blind eye to third Isaiah, Zechariah, Daniel, there are other books that were telling us if we just listen, this is not how we believers who follow in the tradition of the Messiah, this is not how, not just how we fight, this is not how we live. We don't live with weapons at our sides. We live riding on donkeys. Are you offended yet? Because I kind of am. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> Do you not watch the news that I'm watching? Do you not watch the struggles that I'm watching? I mean, they're local, they are statewide, they are nationwide, they are global. Are you not watching who ends up being the winner? It sure seems like the one who has the most, fill in the blank, wins. Jesus, are you sure? There was another passage of scripture that I was handed today that I could have preached from. <laughs> it's all of Mark 14 and all of Mark 15. Lots of, like a hundred and some odd verses. I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but I do wanna highlight how it is that those verses continue to underscore the challenge here. Not just the challenge, the conflict between a group of people who want to see a Judas Maccabeus-styled Messiah and the Messiah. And so we're gonna walk us through a few scenes in Mark 14 and 15, and I just want you to watch for a couple of things. Watch for how, they, how angry they get when Jesus does not measure up to their expectations. 
But I want you to watch how it is that Jesus responds in each of these situations. And I want you to know this. As you watch, this is tough, this is tough. As you watch how Jesus responds in each of these situations, know that what you are watching in those moments, that is Jesus saving us. And how he responds to these accusations. And how he responds to these challenges. That is Jesus saving us from our own ugly definitions of power. Jesus is betrayed by Judas Iscariot, arrested, dragged before the high priest, the elders, and the council. Mark 14, 61, the high priest asks him, now are you the Messiah? I keep hearing this, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power, and coming with the clouds of heaven. This was not acceptable to the high priest. He wanted somebody who looked more like Judas Maccabeus. So the high priest tore his clothes and said, why do we even still need witnesses against this man? You have heard this blasphemy. You're so wrong, you deserve to die. You so so look like something different from Judas Maccabeus that you deserve to die. Some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, and to strike him, saying, prophesy. The guards also took him over and beat him. After this, Simon Peter betrays Jesus three times. The next morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus and led him away and handed him over to Pilate now, the Roman chief Pilate asked him, are you the king of the, you can almost hear it in his voice, right? Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, you say so. (laughs) Then the chief priest started speaking up. Pilate asked Jesus again, have you no answer to these charges made against you? See how many charges they are bringing. But Jesus was silent. Pilate was amazed. You know about this, there was a festival at this particular time. And Pilate used to release a prisoner for them, anyone that the people asked for. And there was this man called Barabbas who was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection. Verse eight, chapter 15. So the crowd came and began to ask Pilate to do for them according to the custom. And he answered them, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Pilate spoke to them, to the crowd again. What is it you want me to do with this man you call the king of the Jews. And they were so mad that he wasn't Judas Maccabeus. You know what they said? Crucify him. Probably some of the same people who were holding palm branches just hours before. Judas Maccabeus was the one they were waiting for. Which one are you waiting for? Essentially, the crowd said, hey, Jesus, you do not look enough like Judas Maccabeus. We don't see any way that you can win this fight. You are worthless. Watch what they do to mock him. So they clothe him in a purple cloak. And after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on him. And they began to salute him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. These are the Roman soldiers. They struck his head with the reed. They spit on him. And they knelt down in fake homage to him. And after mocking him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And then they led him out to crucify him. And guess what sign they put on the cross? 
the king of the Jews. Here's the thing. They were mocking him, but they were also communicating something to us. This is how our king goes about being king. You offended yet? Does this offend your sensibilities as to how things get done? What strength looks like? What leadership looks like? Verse 31, the chief priests, along with the scribes, mocked him as he died on the cross, saying, he saved others, but can he save himself? Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now so that we may see and believe what they didn't know. What they didn't know is in not coming down, that was when he was saving them. You offended yet? And yes, we are supposed to understand ourselves as those who are looking for something more from a savior, a king, a messiah. But Jesus seems to know about this argument in scripture. Jesus seems to know what's going on. He seems to know that he himself is the answer to that ages long argument as to how a savior goes about saving, how a king goes about reigning. He knows now of these scriptures that speak to his nature, his identity, his calling. Scriptures like this, again, other passages I could have preached from today. The Lord God has opened my ears, says the suffering servant of Isaiah, and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. Sound familiar? Verse seven, the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me. Could have preached from Psalm 31, verse 9. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eye wastes away from grief. My soul and my body also for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my misery and my bones waste away. I am the scorn of all of my adversaries and some of those are now inside the tent. A horror to my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have passed out of mind like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror all around as they scheme together against me and as they plot against my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and persecutors. Let your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. And we're about to finish because I don't know if we can take much more because watch this. There's another passage I could have preached from today that seems to indicate that yes, this is how God in Christ goes about saving people like us. It also seems to indicate that the same resources that were available to Jesus as Jesus suffered 
are available to us. It also seems to indicate that then we too should be diligent in taking up the posture not of Judas Maccabeus. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about gun rights right now. I will say this. If your strength comes from your guns, you don't have as much interest in being like Jesus as you think. Because Paul then has the audacity to say this. What? Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. By the way, speaking to church folks now, and speaking to a group of people meant to be understood as the body of Christ, the tangible expression of Christ in the world. Uh, maybe like me, you have misgivings about this. I would encourage you to take it up with Paul. <laughs> Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, humanity. We killed Jesus in part because we need something more. We, at least we think we do from our leaders, from our kings, from our messiahs. We need saving, but we need that saving on our own terms. As it turns out, we too face pressures, attacks, conflicts, adversaries, and honestly, we'd like to win. But when we say win, we mean what we mean. <laughs> we kind of mean what Judas Maccabeus means, not so much what This journey started with that realization on Ash Wednesday that I really want to accept Judas Maccabeus as my Lord and Savior. <laughs> with this realization that I understand power the way Judas did, that I prefer to win in certain sorts of ways, whether we're talking about home squabbles, or work squabble squabbles, or political squabbles. I mean, whatever the fight, I'm just human enough, and I suspect you are too, to want to win and look a little bit more like Judas Maccabeus. On Ash Wednesday, we received the ashes, which, by the way, <laughs> we had because we had the palm branches from the year before. When you take the ash cross on your forehead or on your smartphone, here's what you're saying. I, I can't save myself and I must be saved from this pit, this cycle of violence. And God says, I can do that if you'll let me.
If you haven't already gotten your communion elements, if you would just raise your hand and we will have people, Larry's there in the back, Jason is over here. Just raise your hand. Okay, we need some over here. Um, Campbell's, can you guys get the, the, the communion elements? And yeah, thank you. And we'll make sure that people who need them over, they're right outside, buddy. Don't get locked out. I'll remind you, there's one right there, Tina Hughes. There's a couple. I'll remind us that in our tradition, you don't, you don't come to the table already fixed, already corrected. You come to the table with ashes on your head somehow in need of being corrected. And if you will come and have the courage to look straight into the mirror that demonstrates your failure, your darkness, your sin. If you will be, if you just summon just enough courage, just enough courage to consider your own culpability and guilt, my friends, that's when there are enormous resources for us at this table. Because, listen to this. And now, Heavenly Father, bless these elements and with them, God, strengthen us to be something more than we would have been otherwise clarify our thoughts reign in our wills and even if we don't in this moment want to give us the want to want to look more like Jesus and less like Judas Maccabeus it was on the night that was betrayed that our Savior took bread he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And now all over the church, if you would, take this bread, break it and eat it now in the name of the Lord. same way, still holding up the mirror to them, some who would betray him soon, some who would disown him three times. They didn't realize it at the time, hopefully we realize it today, the same way he took the cup and he held it before them and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant that can absorb your hate and anger and disappointment in me, absorb it, overcome it choose you and love you anyway. That's what this is. So now if you would, church, take and drink. And so, Heavenly Father, we come to this moment of confession now before I turn it over to Jason. We come to this moment of confession realizing that there are times when we do actually wish intoxicated as we are by the world's demonstrations of power. We sometimes wish you looked more like Judas Maccabeus and we confess that as sin even now. I'm gonna get out of the way and give you some space now to pray your own prayer of confession along those lines. How do you want to be saved?
Now hear this prayer confession. May the Almighty God have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit, keep us in eternal life.